This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride to the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jaladanki and Ayush Agarwal. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to High School Not So Much a Musical. Today, we are joined with Tom Galvin, an experienced journalist, author, and we really just wanted to learn about the life of a journalist. And Mr. Galvin, or Tom, has a lot of experience within journalism or anything like that. So, Tom, could you please tell us about your career as a journalist and how you moved from that working at the intersection of tech and policy? So, just overall your life story over the past many years. Uh, sure. And first, thank you for uh, inviting me on as a guest. I really admire what you all are doing here with this podcast. So thank you. I uh, I became a journalist quite a long time ago, uh, back in the late 80s. It wasn't something I intended. I was getting my master's at George Washington University in Soviet studies, which will seem ancient. And I needed a part-time job, and I went to work for a news organization in Washington, D.C., and I'd always been interested in politics, and I got the bug, and I ultimately decided to switch and to become a journalist. And I worked for a few different publications. One was Congressional Quarterly, which is a very D.C.-based organization looking at Congress and legislation and the powers that kind of influence those. Then I worked at the New York Post and the New York Daily News as a Washington correspondent covering Congress, presidential campaigns and the White House, and as well had a column with an organization called National Journal, which is another DC based uh, organization. So along the way, I got to do a lot of exciting things from covering the intrigues in Congress to working at the White House and trying to understand what were the motivations and and the impact of White House decisions and then traveling the country during presidential campaigns. So it was a job that was really exciting and challenging because you had to try to find the story behind the story. You had to try to put context to it, how it affects real people. And you had to gain trust of people. And that is a big part of being a journalist, especially when you're working with the same people over and over when you're on what is called a beat. And that was uh, important. And you had to gain credibility and respect It didn't mean you wouldn't be critical sometimes in stories, but people wouldn't be surprised and you'd be fair. And that's uh, kind of the hallmarks, I believe, still of journalism today or should be. From that, I left journalism and through circumstances ended up out where you all are, out in Silicon Valley, working and living for for technology companies and living in San Jose, where I really got a firsthand look at the beginnings and the development of the internet and how that was shaping our lives and shaping society and ultimately decided to move back to the Washington DC area uh, and continued on that course where I was advising technology companies uh, about policies and trying to translate the promise of technology, sometimes the pitfalls, to, uh, to people who care about policy and politics. Thank you so much for that introduction. And um, right now I'm a 10th grader and Ayush and Nidin, they're 11th graders. So I'm taking AP US history right now and they took it last year. And right now we're learning about the Gilded Age, a period um, in American society where like large corporations, basically like they controlled all the social, political and economic life of the United States. And for those who don't know, um, Tom, he has a book called The Auction and it seems to take the situation to an extreme. 
So could you talk about the plot line, how you came up with the idea for it, and how much it resembles the direction the country is headed in? It's a great question. Uh, the auction came to me as someone who had been involved in technology and politics and looking at the future. A lot of my job in the last 15 years has been to try to look ahead and think about what the future will look like. And as I did, I started to imagine a world, to your point, which is not entirely different than what we have today, uh, but where technology and capitalism are have run amok. And the basis of the auction is, we all know that there's markets now, stock markets for stocks that get bought and sold, real estate markets, commodities markets, and the premise of the auction is there's a new economy in the United States and the United States is booming based on this economy, which is the buying and selling of the future of people. So if you're 22 years old and you're going into your life, you get evaluated and determined on what kind of financial future you have. And that's all that matters. And these large corporations bid on your future to have a stake in your future. So you, people are essentially stocks to be bought and sold based on their perceived value. And the point of the auction is in that, in that type of world, we end up warping a lot of things. So it's a really noble thing to be a teacher. It's a really noble thing to be a firefighter, but neither of them are necessarily well-paying. And in this new world, those aren't valued. So they are not people who are be getting resources or people who are people paying attention to them. You only are valued on one thing, how much money you're going to make because you are now a stock and these seven corporations that are now fundamentally running the United States, they're the quasi government, care only about your financial value. Your parents, because they get money based on your financial value that pays for their retirement, now steer their children towards jobs that only are financially valuable. So it shows a society where once people become a commodity, that it warps everything about us. If you're extremely valuable, if you're an elite, corporations will do just about anything to protect you from any harm. And if you do something wrong, they're going to cover it up. And if you're in a noble profession, but don't make a lot of money, you're essentially discarded and in the book, uh, perhaps worse, a little foreshadowing there. So it's designed to look at <clears throat> the pressures that young people have today. And I believe the three of you face pressures that are substantially higher than what folks like I faced 30 years ago. You face pressures on making sure you get into the right school. And if you're playing sports, you get on a travel team. And all of these things are designed to make you look attractive to some, to either a school or an employer down the road. And fundamentally in the auction, your life gets decided at 22. And to a degree, it's commentary on where we're going because we are seeing more and more of that type of behavior where all that matters is your financial value and you are essentially treated as such. So one of the things that I found really interesting was that you related it back to us about the pressures that we face. And I think that this is really interesting because just a few weeks ago, we were talking to um, a child actor who was basically really worried about his choice to become a child actor because there's just so much pressure that is placed on students about going into a STEM industry and stuff like that. So um, I think that Ayush wants to follow up further on this whole topic. So go ahead, Ayush. Sure. So you mentioned how the world we live in today has seen a 
gradual increase in pressure for high school students to succeed in high school, get the top tier extracurricular activities, get into top tier colleges, which is why, uh, you, like you said, uh, when you were a child, you probably faced much less pressure than we do now. Uh, however, if this trend continues, I wanted to get your feedback on whether A, do you think it will continue or will it kind of like stagnate and the pressure that we face now will be similar to the pressure that maybe our kids face? So that was one question. And also the second question was, do you think that obviously, you know, the auction is a, a fiction book that exaggerates the society that we live in today, but do you think that there's a chance that society could actually enter the point where children are basically commodities to be bought and sold? And do you think it will actually ever get to the level that the auction makes it out to be? Sure, I'll, I'll try to answer that in backwards order. I do fear that we will end up in some sort of system there. Of course, the auction is fiction and it's a distorted and meant to be hyper distorted view to make a point. But I do fear that we increasingly are becoming commodities. And that is partly due to the way technology now views things. Every aspect of us can be evaluated, whether it's our health records or where we live to decide whether we get health insurance or whether we can own a home uh, in China, for example, there's a social credit score which divines your value to the state, and that includes loyalty. And that determines whether you get jobs or whether their children, parents' children, get into the right schools. In the United States, just last week, a former Facebook executive suggested that the next area of venture capital will be the investment in humans. And it mentioned one person who gave up 5% stake in their future for money. And by that, I mean, an entity now owns part of their future income. And that's fundamentally the basis of the auction because in the auction, and nobody has a choice in this, you get evaluated. It's essentially a cash system, A, B, C, and D. And the money that companies bid on you goes to your parents to pay for the retirement because there's no more social security. And that company now owns 25% of your future income for the rest of their life, for the rest of your life. So we are already seeing examples of that. And in part, it's a rational move because of problems. For example, college is so expensive now. In the last year or so, I've seen proposals where universe or companies will bid or give you money to pay for college and they get a stake of your future. And that may make sense for a young person who doesn't want to face a hundred or $200,000 in student debt. But in a way it's a destructive decision because you're giving up part of your future for a problem today. And a much better solution would be to make figure a way to make college affordable than to make young people like yourselves have to give up part of your future just so they could do it. So I do see signs of this already happening. It's a little scary to me, um, but if it, and so I do think it will continue to evolve and to answer the first part of your question in terms of pressure, that puts enormous pressure on young people at a time that they already face pressure. I faced pressures when I was 15 and 16. We had a lot of pressure and it felt like a lot of pressure, but I don't believe it's anywhere near what you all face because of the way technology is starting to create evaluations of people. Algorithms create evaluations of people that we never even know about. So yes, I do think it's getting worse and I do fear for that future. So one of the things that you brought up was about how technology is really contributing to this. And I think that this has become a lot more prevalent 
because when you're applying for a job or you're applying for a summer program or just applying for college, they ask you about so much stuff about yourself that you they potentially don't even need because they actually just section you off if you don't have like a certain criteria that you're looking for. And a really good example of this is like applying for suppose Best Buy and they ask you like I want uh, if you're applying for a job and they say you need to have this many years of experience. Well, how do you gain experience by working? So I think that this is one of like the very important things that companies need to start to recognize is that they do need to start investing in people and their futures, but they need to make sure that they're also giving them like the freedom to move on. So I think that this leads me to my next question, which is um, a little bit more on your journalism side. So like every journalist has their own little topic or niche that they talk about and the topic that they just love engaging in debates and writing about. So could you please talk about your niche per se? Sure. Well, I was a political reporter, so by nature, that was my niche. Uh, but there's different types of political reporters. There's those who do what are called long form stories. Think of it as a magazine story, a really long story that sets a stage and tries to surface issues. Uh, there's people who did put context to things that had already been written about. And then there was those who tried to break stories. And I loved to break stories. So that was where I was passionate about. And that's that's what I became more known for than anything else was the ability to break stories. I think I'm a naturally curious pe person. And if there's something to be known, I wanted to know it. So I really enjoyed breaking stories. I will add one thing to it though, which is I think something that's been lost in journalism. A lot of time for a journalist, it's not what you can report, but what you know. And oftentimes it's better to know something than to be able to report it, because that means you won't be wrong. So there was a lot of things a journalist can learn, but it doesn't mean they have to report all of it right away. Sometimes it needs context, but the current state of journalism doesn't reward context. It rewards two things putting things out fast and having a point of view because points of view are what get clicks and attention. But that's not necessarily always the best thing when it comes to journalism. So we are in a different stage of journalism than it was when I first started. I'm not the type of person who believes that just because it's different than when I was young, that makes it worse. But I think these are challenges for journalism. So once again, one thing that you said was the whole thing is about putting them out fast and having a perspective. And I've been on a binge of this like show called Silicon Valley, where it's exactly what you're talking about. It's all about technology and Silicon Valley and how these like young entrepreneurs are trying to find their like footing as a digital compression media company. So within that, they face a lot of problems because they're up against these like really big tech giants. And the name of the company in that case is Huli, which is like our Google. So within that, the problems that they face are they have so many reporters that are after them. And there's like this common misconception that like reporters are always out there to find like some bad side of somebody and expose it, which is what exactly happens within Silicon Valley. So I think that later on in the podcast, potentially in our tips question, you could talk a little bit about if somebody did want to get into reporting, how can they be ethical about reporting and stuff like that? But I think that Rishi wants to follow up with a new question now. Sure. Yeah. So you were talking about the current state of journalism. And um, the question I had for you was like, what were some of the most interesting events and political scenarios you covered during your time in journalism? So I know you've been doing it for a long time. So, yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, there's several that probably jumped to mind. Uh, in 1994, when the United States was on the verge of invading Haiti, 
I went into Haiti with the Marines. And what that required was going in and being on a ship for about a week, kind of under embargo. So we knew everything that was about to happen, but we weren't able to report it. And to do that, I lived in the Washington DC area at the time. You know, we went to Andrews Air Force Base, which is where um, uh, Air Force One is based. Uh, got on a plane and flew to Guantanamo Bay in Cuba, which is a US base there. Um, you know, just as a side note, it's fascinating to me that the United States has a base in a foreign country that's communist that doesn't want it, but it's the vestige of a uh, treaty that was done in, I believe, 1903. So we actually are able to have a Navy base there. We then went from Guantanamo Bay and flew by helicopter to a ship that was off the north coast of Haiti. Like I said, we were there for a week and pretty much had the run of the ship because we couldn't report anything and then went into Haiti. Uh, the circumstances of the invasion changed when a last minute deal was made, but it was still um, at the time a risky proposition. In retrospect with what happened after that post 9-11 and everything that's happened in the last 20 years, it doesn't seem so frankly dangerous. But at the time uh, it was uh, interesting and I spent about four weeks in Haiti kind of uh, interacting with the Marines. And so that was a really interesting experience, mostly because it requires you to use your instincts. And to me, there was nothing more enjoyable than having to rely on my instincts in, a, in, a, in an unusual place and to see if they were right. I, I kind of really enjoy that. Other than that, uh, covering presidential campaigns was fascinating because you're trying to, you know, you're traveling around the country, sometimes three or four flights a day. You're getting to meet people in different cities. You're seeing how people react to candidates, uh, both uh, you know, negatively and positively. And uh, I, I really enjoyed doing that part. It isn't, frankly, a great place to break stories because you're in this bubble. A lot of those stories get broken outside of that bubble. But uh, traveling the, the country with a candidate was uh, a really interesting and kind of enlightening experience. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of High School, Not So Much a Musical. Stay tuned to listen to the second part of our talk with Tom Galvin. Our next talk ranges from what a typical day of a journalist looks like to what the process of interviewing the president looks like. Keep on the lookout for upcoming episodes and we'll see you next time. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nitin Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.